You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. So I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 18. I'm going to start a, a, a series uh, uh, tonight on Wednesday nights just about this scripture and what it talks about here and the things that we need to do to encourage and uh, uh, fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, listen to these scriptures. <coughs> Starting in verse 16, let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. You know, we've talked about this many times. We don't, we're not thankful for everything, but he said be thankful in everything. Thankful in everything for what? That God is with you. That there's other people that love and care for you. Any, anybody that's with you in the, in the foxhole, you need to be grateful for. You need to be grateful, number one, that God is, he's a present help in times of trouble, if you'll believe it. And so, you know, we're, we're not grateful for everything that happens to it, but we're grateful in everything that God is moving and that he had turned what was meant for evil around for our good. Amen? So he says this, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's perfect plan? Let joy be your continual, fe- continual feast. Another translation says rejoice always. Make your life a prayer. Pray continually and be thankful in everything. He said, that's his perfect plan. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people don't get to live out the dreams and the things that God has planned for them because they won't take these first steps. You know, he wants you to take, he wants you to be obedient to the word. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. If you love me, you obey me. So he's saying, listen, oh, this is a command of God and this is his perfect plan for you. And when you learn to do the little things right, it's amazing how he helps you do the bigger things right. He said, faithful with the little, ruler over much. But a lot of times we're not faithful with the little. So God wants us, this is the little, this is the little. And if you want to live out dreams and you want to see breakthroughs and you want to see God really move in your life, then we got to be obedient to the things he's already told us before he'll tell us the things that we don't know. We have to do the things that we do know. I talk to people all the time about different issues and like in marriage or their finances or their job situation or <coughs> just their health and different things. And a lot of times we're not doing the things we do know. Matter of fact, most of the time we're not doing the things we do know. And that's why there's issues. And I hear people say all the time, well, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's like a, you know, it's like talking to a 15 year old. I know, I know. Well, yeah, you know, and so if you know, then you got to do the, the, the little things that he's already told you to do so that he can tell you the things that you don't know to do that are bigger, that he can take you to another level of being led by the Spirit of God. And that's what this is really talking about here. Listen to the rest of this. Verse 19, never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do you know you can restrain the Holy Spirit or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? The Holy Spirit is always represented by a fire. On the day of Pentecost, he came down in tongues of fire. Tongues of fire. And so we can restrain the fire. Otherwise, we can can limit the fire inside of us, or we can put out the fire of the Holy Spirit by not doing some of these things, by not rejoicing, by not praying, by not being thankful in every circumstance. 
He said, so don't do that. If you do, don't do those things, you're going to restrain, you're going to limit the Holy Spirit, or you can snuff the fire out. We want to stoke the fire. How do you stoke the fire? Rejoice. Rejoice always, over every day. It's a gift from God. Rejoice. Pray continually over everything. Everything and anything that you think about, you pray to God about. And then be thankful. Don't meditate on the things, the burdens, more than you meditate on what you do have. Don't meditate on what you don't have. Meditate more on what you do have. And so he said that's how, how you add to the fire of the, in the leading and the move of the Holy Spirit in your life is you, you do those things. And he says this, and don't be one who scorns prophecies. Now the prophecies, there's two types of prophetic word. One is a prophetic word of the future. Another one is a prophecy, which means somebody teaching you or, or speaking on behalf of the Spirit of God about the Scripture. So what he's basically saying is here is don't, don't scorn the word. When, you're, when you hear the word, don't scorn it. Don't, don't deny it. Don't refuse to act on it. Don't, don't not receive it. Don't, don't say, nah, you know, that's... That involves my marriage. I'm going to do what I want to do. That involves my money. I don't get stay out of my business. That involves my relationships, and that's no one's business. That involves, you know, don't, don't put a wall up between you and the word of God. He said, receive it. Receive it how? Rejoicing. Receive it how? In prayer. And pray it out. Receive it how? Thankfully. And he said, and don't be one who scorns prophecies, but be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test. And afterward, hold tightly to what has proven to be right. Avoid every appearance of evil. So he's saying this. Listen, receive the word. Re- you know, rejoice, pray, be thankful, receive the word, and then test everything that is spoken to you a- according to the word, what is right and wrong. So the word is always our guide. The word always tells us, is that right or wrong? And he's dealing with the Thessalonian church here that has, has seen a lot of false prophecy and bad teaching and people trying to weave their way into the church and teach false doctrine. And so he's saying, listen, it's simpler than that. Just when you hear the word or, or you hear someone preach or you hear someone explain something, always measure it with the word of God. Put it to the test by the word. If they're saying what is right and the word says it's wrong, then they're wrong. If they say, if it's the reverse, you know, saying this is wrong and the word says it's right, then they're wrong again. And so test everything according to the word. That's why I always say, don't take my word for it. Always take God's word for it. Always go to the word. Always go to the word. And he's saying if we do these things, we won't, we won't uh, restrain or snuff out the Holy Spirit in our life. We'll stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit and he'll manifest more of his power in our life. He wants to manifest more, not less. But by not doing some of these things that are written and some of these things that are he's making really obvious, we can restrain and we can snuff out the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Romans said, the sons of God, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. 
He said, that's how you'll know who they are. They're led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to heal us. He wants to help us. He wants to manifest his power and his mercy and the grace of God in our life, the wisdom of God, the help of God. Can someone bring me a Kleenex box? I'm sorry. My nose hadn't run all day. Satan's a liar in Jesus' name. Thank you, D.C. So, you know, we, we, we want to we stoke the flame, not put the flame out. It's real easy to get in the, in the habit of, of putting the flame out and restraining the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times this scripture is used in churches. Like, oh, that church, they don't allow the Holy Spirit to move. It's used in churches. Can I say something to you? This was written to the church, but it was written about their day-to-day life, not their church services. Let me say it again. It's written about their day-to-day life. Can churches limit the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. In the book of Revelations, it says God will remove their lampstand. The lampstand represents the seven spirits of God, which is the seven ways the Holy Spirit manifests. The Holy Spirit manifests in seven ways. And so he said, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll remove the the Holy Spirit from the church. But this right here is not talking to the church as a whole. It's talking to us as individuals that we can snuff out and we can limit the fire and power of the Holy Spirit by not just doing these simple things. Well, it's not that simple, is it? Not with a cruel, ugly world out here. Not with Texas drivers, it's not that simple. Not with Walmart shoppers, it's not that simple. But despite them, we're supposed to overcome. I said, despite them, we're supposed to overcome. You know, when not quenched, we may manifest his power in more of his spiritual gifts in our life. Well, you're hearing, man, you know, the Holy Spirit knows the past, the present, and the future. And that a lot of times we don't get to hear what's coming because we won't obey what's happening. Or you, you don't hear what's coming or, or you won't see what's happening because you won't let him heal, heal and deliver you from your past. So you're still living. He's still dealing with you in the past. God wants to deliver you from your past. He wants to deliver you from it. All of us. Then he wants us to learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in the present so that he can tell us what's coming. He'll show us what's coming. Faithful with the little, ruler over much. So we have to be faithful and and being led by the Holy Spirit in these areas. You know, we did that. We did that. um, I think I talked about this Sunday too. We did that thing where we tried to last 21 days without complaining. I think we had three people in the church that made it. Only three. And you know what? None of them talk much. I'm serious. They're not talkers. They're the most quiet people you've ever been around. And they're the only ones that made it because they didn't just say, they didn't say anything because they don't normally say anything. So I wanted, I wanted to put them to a greater test so you can't even think about a complaint. But I didn't. They made it. They didn't speak one complaint. I started out the other day. I, I said, okay, I'm not going to complain at all today. I didn't make it 15 minutes. I got on 2nd Street. 
and someone did something and I complained. <laughs> and I, I'm like, darn, I didn't make it 15 minutes. Not even 15, it's probably 10 from my house. And so, you know, guys, we, it, it, we, I, I understand, God understands, it's a continual process. And what's the process? He takes us to it. It's constantly, instead of rejecting the word of God and the things that God is speaking to us from his word, it's, it's receiving that with joy. Receiving the word, even if it's a word of correction. I don't know how many people I've seen hear a word of correction, and instead of receiving it, man, I've seen them reject it and walk, get up and walk out in service, or, or they just never come back. And, you know, people, a lot of people, man, guys, we talk about giving and tithing every service, and I, I'm, we all know that the number one topic people don't want to talk about in church is finances, is money. It's the number one thing people don't want to hear about. Why? Because they don't want any word of correction. You know, I was talking to one of our church family the other day, uh, Miss Linda and not uh, Linda Kirk, and she, we were talking, and she said something really powerful to me. She goes, it would be great if everybody, because we're talking about church finances, how studious uh, our, our bank is, our, our, our finance uh, manager, uh, Phyllis, uh, our elders, and really me and my wife and the uh, are uh, so accountable for the finances of the church and how we watch every penny. We account for everything, and we try to spend it really wisely. Um, and so we were talking about that, and she goes, it'd be great if everybody treated all of their money like it belonged to God and that we were just managers. The way we treat the church finances is that we're managers. God's the owner. And she said, I thought, you know what? That would be awesome if we all just thought of not just our finances, but our lives like that. But you know, when people get a word of correction about giving, about tithing, about doing these things that God has said, man, a lot of them reject it, man, and they walk away. And then they squawk a bunch of lies like, oh, they want your W-2, or they want this, or they want that, or they're all about money, and, you know. Didn't say that about us when we were across the street in that old building. We were the poor church, now we're the rich church. I don't care what they call us. You know what we want to be? We don't want to be the rich or the poor church. We want to just be God's church. You know, and do what God asks of us. And so a lot of people, because we, we speak on that, they get all twisted and, man, they, they can't handle it. It's like, man, I got to quit talking about that. And some churches have completely quit talking about it. And I think it's sad that they have. Because we know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that money is going to be the difference between the Antichrist and God. You can't buy or sell without the mark of the Antichrist. When that time comes, it's going to be all about what? Money. And so, man, we're trying to teach you not to worship money, but to worship God. Not to trust in your money, but to trust in God. God constantly warns the rich. Those who think they're rich and have finances available to them, he's constantly warning them that it's so easy for them to go to hell and so difficult for many people that have finances to go to heaven. Why? Because they rely on their money instead of God. And so, of course, we're going to talk about it. Don't, don't take a word of prophecy and resist it. Don't take that word and resist it. Yield to it. Receive it with joy. Thank God he's trying to help you. Thank God he's, he's yelling at you. The road is out. You keep going this direction and bad things are going to happen. 
He's trying to minister to us. He just won't make us. So we need to receive his word with joy and test everything, whether it's right or wrong, not based on what we think or what others think, but based upon what God's word says. That's the trick that Satan played, the deception he played on Eve. He said, You'll, he's holding back on you because he doesn't want you to know the difference between right and wrong, Eve. Otherwise, he doesn't want you deciding what is right and wrong, Eve. It's the same trick he's playing on people right now, the same deception. Stay away from God and those Christians in their book, the Bible, because they have a definitive, God has some definitive thoughts on right and wrong in every area of life. He doesn't leave one area of your life from what the words you speak and use to your marriage, to raising your kids, to how you work your job. If you're a business owner, how you run that, how you treat people and, and, and uh, just day to day in business, at work. I mean, there's not an area of our life in family about parents and children, children and parents husbands, wives. I mean, there's not an area of our life, friendships, um, that God has not spoken to and said, this is the right thing to do and that's the wrong thing to do. And so they resist it. When it comes to sexuality, he speaks very definitively about that, that there's one man, he made one man and one woman, and he made man and woman for each other. It is so obvious biologically, it is so obviously, uh, so obvious in our uh, anatomy that, man, he made us, made men and women for each, uh, for each other. Not women for women and men for men. It's so apparent. And it's apparent how you were born. But yet, the world would resist the word of God, and that's why they never hear from the Holy Spirit. And when we participate in those thoughts, and we participate in those activities, we are snuffing out the, the, the spirit of God because we're saying we're going to decide what is right and wrong instead of allowing the word of God and the Holy Spirit to tell us. Let's read it again. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit, and don't be one who scorns prophecies, who scorns the word of God. But be faithful, be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test. And afterward, hold tightly to what has proven to be right and avoid every appearance, appearance of evil. He's saying put it to the test of the word and then what the word says is right, you do. And what the word said is wrong, you don't. He said, if we'll just do those simple things, we'll stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit. And not only will he heal you and deliver you from your past, remove your shame and guilt of your past, remove the unforgiveness and hurt of your past. He'll bring you into your present so that you're actually enjoying and living presently. So many people either live in their past or try to live in the future, and they miss the present. I've, I've done that, not living in the past, but living in the present, trying to live in the future all the time. I've missed so many good moments in the present. And years ago, I made a commitment. I'm not missing those anymore. I'm going to learn. I'm delivered from my past. I'm going to learn to enjoy the present. And then when you do those two things, then he begins to show you the future. That's when the, you stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit, and he starts moving into your future. He starts moving into your future. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to bless you. He wants to ignite a passion in you for the things of God. He wants you to stoke the fire, not put it out. Mm. 
We are. This is, I'm going to talk about who we are. Go with me to James chapter 4. When he says, when he just talks about right here in these scriptures about rejoicing and praying, and he, he, he's, he's talking about continually being humble before God. And he says in James 4, 6, he said, But he who continues to pour out more and more grace upon us, for it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually, everybody says continually, pours out grace when you are humble. God wants us to be consistent in these things. He wants us to consistently rejoice. He wants us to consistently rejoice over things that happen during the day. Man, you hear good news, he wants you to rejoice. He wants you to rejoice that he's with you. He wants you to rejoice when you hear some, something good happened for somebody, someone got out of the hospital, someone got healed, someone's recovered from a sickness, something's good happened to them, someone got, fell in love and got married, someone had a newborn baby. God wants us to rejoice in the good things that he's supplied for us. He wants, to be a people, he wants us to be a people of rejoicing. Praise God should always be in your mouth. Some of you are great at it, I know, and you bug people probably with it sometimes. You know, someone says something and you just, it just comes out of you. Well, praise God. And they're like, what? Well, every good and perfect gift comes from him, man. So he, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Even that that just happened to you, even though you don't know him. That's the goodness of God on your life right there. So I'm going to praise him no matter what. And he wants us to continue. Notice the word here, continually pours out his grace when you are humble. When we're continually humble before God, and when you're humble before God, you're rejoicing. You're, you're consistent in prayer, and you're consistently thankful. Consistently thankful. Thankful for what? The ble for blessings. Instead of, instead of being focused on the burdens. You know, my wife wrote a devotional that we've given to many people, and not many people finish it. It's 30 days. It's an incredible devotional Julie wrote. It has my name on it too, but I didn't do a whole lot for it. She just included me. I was the editor, I guess. But she wrote an incredible devotional for marriage. That uh, it just, what it does is it gets you focused on the good qualities of your spouse. It's both, there's one for the husband and one for the wife. And it gets you so focused on the incredible good qualities of your spouse that it, it, starts, to, it starts to get you to stop focusing on all the negatives, what you don't have. It gets you focusing on what you do have. It gets you fo away from focusing on what your husband is not and focusing on the good things he is. It gets you away from focusing on what your wife is not and focusing on what, she, what she's good at and what she is. And man, the, those who complete that, it transforms their marriage. It just transforms their marriage. They're out in the bookstore. It transforms your marriage if you just get focused. Man, grateful, thankful people are focused on those things. It's so easy to get focused on the negative. My job is not this. My job is not that. My boss, my job, my husband, my kids, my life, my hair. People have straight hair, want curly hair. People have curly hair, want straight hair. People have brown eyes, want blue eyes. And people have blue eyes, want brown eyes. It's crazy. Blondes want to be uh, brunettes, and brunettes want to be blondes. I mean, it's just crazy. It just, and you know, 
people aren't satisfied with what they have. Want to be taller, bigger, faster, stronger, smarter. I mean, it's always something. We're always comparing. Instead of, instead of being focused on what we don't have, we need to get focused on what we do. And when you do that, that's how you become more grateful. That's how you become more thankful. I mean, we can look at Christmas time and, and miss all the ones that aren't here, and, and that's okay. We're always going to feel uh, something missing in those things, but and it's all right. But we can't stay focused on that. We need to be grateful and thankful to the ones that are. Pastor Troy, I've heard you say that before. I'm going to keep saying that. Because uh, we can get so badly missing the ones that aren't that we miss out on all the ones that are. But God doesn't want to focus on the burdens and on the negatives of our life. Some of you might be in difficult situations and circumstances, but do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food on the table? Do you have a paycheck coming in? That's more than about 80% of the people on the planet. Why do you think they come here by the millions? My goodness, the nations I've been in where they don't even bake traffic lights. You can't trust anything. You can't trust the government, the police. You can't trust anyone in any form of government. Most people are on the take. I mean, that's most of the world. Even when we were in Italy, they constantly complained that there's no way to move anywhere. They stayed at the same job for 30, 40 years because there was no movement. There was no place to go. There were no opportunities. And they were really good at what they did because they did it forever. But, and they weren't a defeat, totally defeated people. But the only time they got negative is when they talked about, we don't have any opportunities. We don't have any place to go. We don't have anything to do. We don't have, I mean, they were just constantly down about that. And guys, false religion runs rampant in these nations. We need to be grateful. We need to have a grateful heart. We need to be thankful and devoted and committed to living out God's will. Do you know when you get thankful, man, he said, if you'll delight in my word, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And if you commit your ways to me, I'll bring them to pass. That's what God says to us. But, and some people grab a hold of that and like, God, I'm going to learn to delight in your word. I'm going to do what you said here. You said this is your perfect will. This, plan, this is your plan for me. And so I'm going to stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to see the Holy Spirit move in my life and move in my present and my future and deliver me from my past. And I'm going to see him speak through me and use my life to bless others and help my family and help others around me. And Father, I'm going to see you move so mightily that you're going to give me the desires of my heart because I'm. I delight in you, and then I'm going I'm to be committed. I'm going to be devoted to you in your word. He said, then you'll see him come to pass. In your lifetime, with your eyes, you will see your heart's desire come to pass. Whatever that is. I love these quotes that I found. This is so powerful about being thankful. This, this said this, uh, this is a quote. Feeling great gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. Feeling gratitude towards somebody and not expressing it to them is like wrapping a present and then you, you forgot to give it to them. Here's another quote from a guy named Cicero. He said this. No duty is more indispensable than that of returning kindness. Kindness. 
You know how we return kindness? Thank you. Thank you. That's how we return. When someone's kind towards us, thank you. That's how we return that kindness. And there's, that's indispensable in our life. And it's exactly the plan and will of God for all of us. And I'm going to focus on each one of these things, on rejoicing, on prayer, on, on speaking the word. I'm going to focus on all these things. But tonight, I'm going to focus on being thankful. Well, Pastor, you've taught on that multiple times. Guys, I'm going to teach on it and teach on it and teach on it and teach on it and teach on it until we all turn around and start seeing this world with a, with a heart of gratitude, with eyes of thankfulness, so God will move more powerfully for us and our families and for our church family, our community. I looked up modern psychology's thoughts on gratitude. This is, this is the world's thinking. They came up with this term, a self-renewing feedback loop. Let me say it again, a self-hyphenated renewing feedback loop. They say gratitude is that. Because when you express gratitude, what they're really saying is, if you sow it, you'll reap it. That it's a loop that you get into. When you see, when you express gratitude, you start to see the best in people, and guess what happens to you? People start being grateful for you and seeing the best in you. They call it a self-renewing feedback loop. It just itself, it's 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 what they're always they're always looking for a perpetual engine, a self-perpetual engine that doesn't have to be fueled. Well, guess what? There is one. It's called gratitude. It's called thankfulness. If you'll get there, I mean, it'll just be self-perpetuating. You're thankful and it comes back to you. You're thankful and it comes back to you. You're grateful for what you have and it comes back to you constantly. I, I love that thought because it's a God thought of sowing and reaping. When we are grateful, thankful, we see the good in others and are more likely to see the good in ourselves and and do more good. Let me say it again. When we're thankful, we see the good in others. So we begin to see the good in ourselves, And then we want to do more good. Why? It's, it's that, that, that loop that we're in. Golly, man, if we could just change our eyes. And I'm not talking about our vision. I'm talking about how we see the world and we see it through God's eyes. I've said before, I really encourage you that before you get out of bed, thank God for every good thing in your life. Thank him for a good day. Thank him for, the man, God, I thank you I had a good night's sleep or I got to I have a bed and I, the heat was on. I didn't freeze to death and, or I got, a, I got some AC in here or a fan on me. I mean, thank God for these covers. Thank God. Thank God for the shower I'm about to take. Thank God for the coffee I'm about to drink. Julie got a new sign, bar. we have a little coffee thing, a little coffee bar, and she's got a little sign that says, fueled by Jesus and coffee. Yeah, somebody, get, yeah. And so thank God for that. Thank God for all the little things. Thank God for my family that cares about me. Thank God for my friends. Thank God I have a job. Thank God I have some finances. Thank God I got some eggs and bacon in, in the fridge. Thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Thank God I'm alive again today. Thank God I'm breathing today. Thank God it's another good day that he has made. And then they go on, modern psychologists begin to say all the things that God says. And you see why God, that science is always confirming God's word. 
It's always confirming God's word. It says that it affects your physical, mental, and spiritual health. Duh. It's definitely going gonna, gonna to affect you what they think is on a deep. They just call spiritual little s, man, that it's going to affect you on a deeper level. They recognize there's a deeper level than the mind and the body. But it also affects you physically. And it's definitely going to affect your mindset and your, your attitude and your, your mentality. People who are thankful have greater mental well-being. They're just happier. I said they're just happier. And ha- happiness releases certain endorphins in your body that makes you physically more able to, re- to, uh, to fight off and ward off sickness, disease, and all kinds of other things. We know that. That is scientifically proven. Man, when you're thankful, you have greater social bonds. Otherwise, you have, man, people that are ungrateful and unthankful, they don't have great friendships. They're not good friends because they're, they're ungrateful. They're always gimme, 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 never give, give, give. Or they give, they give to others, not out of gratitude, they give out of others so they'll like them. You know, my boys got called to the office a few times in school. And one of the times he got called to the office, some, somebody at Mountain View had, I guess, was taking money from their parents and handing it out to all the kids. And I remember when I was a seventh and eighth grader, there were two twins, two twin boys. They wanted everybody to like them, so they would do the same thing. They'd give me money every day. It wasn't extortion. I wasn't protecting them. They just wanted to be liked. And so they just wanted to be liked, so they gave us money all the time. And, man, you know, we let them hang around. But we realized there was a desperation about them, that their giving wasn't out of gratitude. Their giving wasn't out of love. Matter of fact, it came to find out they were stealing it from their dad. And so, and that's what happened at Mountain View, too. They found out this this little girl was stealing it from her parents and dishing it out. And so... Uh, man, they were given it not out of gratitude or thankfulness. They were given it out of desperation and manipulation and not out of true gratitude and thankfulness, and that's why they were stealing it. Because if you're really grateful, you're not going to steal it. And you don't need to be so desperate for people to like you that you're giving, almost trying to force a friendship on them. You know what I'm talking about? Don't be like that. Just learn how to be a great friend because the Word of God tells you if you show yourself friendly, you'll have friends. But he said friendly, not manipulative, not usually. Don't force friendships on people that, you know, sometimes people aren't going to choose you as a friend no matter how much you want to be their friend. But if you'll just stay friendly and not manipulate people, eventually you'll just have friendships. You'll connect with people. And when you're grateful and truly thankful and you're not using it to use or manipulate people, man, your social bonds will be strengthened and be bigger and better than ever. Your life will be better. This is one of the things I really like. Your coping skills will be better. Coping with problems, coping with issues, coping with difficulties. When you're grateful and you're thankful, man, your coping abilities go sky high. This isn't... This is, comes from a bunch of psychologists who are looking at it. God's word confirms it. That's why he says, rejoice always, pray always, and be thankful. Because he already knows this stuff. He didn't need 
any modern psychologist to tell him. God created it. It disturbs, it defers stress out of your life. It will actually lower stress. And we know stress is one of the leading cause of illness and death in our nation is stress. But when you're thankful and grateful to God and thankful and grateful for people in your life, it actually lowers your stress levels. Why? Because you're happier. You have better relationships. You have better friendships. You just have a better outlook on life. You know, I love this. It, 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 it helps. When we do what God's word says, God doesn't want to change our personality completely. He wants to redeem our personality. He doesn't want to remove it. He wants to bring the best out of your personality and redeem it. And one of the ways he does that is teaching you to be grateful and thankful and to express it. Well, how do we express being thankful? Say the words. Just say the words. You know, uh, a lot of my staff has caught on to this, that at Chick-fil-A, when you say thank you, what do they say? Does anybody know what they say back? My pleasure. My pleasure. Not just you're welcome, but it's, it's been my pleasure to serve you. And a lot of my staff, when I say, when I say thank you, they'll say my pleasure. I think it's great. I'm, I'm picking that up. Because I usually say you're welcome. That's how I was trained. But I like it. It's my pleasure to serve you. Amen. You know, when we're thankful, I, I thank my wife all the time. I'm so grateful for her. Man, I'm so thankful. I thank all my kids. When, when they do something, I'm thankful. Guys, I always want to be thankful. And listen, that's not my personality. My personality just ignored all that. But God, when you, when you release your personality to God, he'll redeem it. And he'll take the best out of your personality. He'll add thankfulness to you. And he'll teach you how to express it, how to say it. How to actually say thank you. You know, I'm going to leave you with this. I've got some other thoughts I'll share with you next, next Wednesday about how we express gratitude. But one of the ones I want to leave with you this Christmas season, has anybody ever been in a store? And, and by the way, this is out here because this is part of our Christmas service. Go back. I'm out of the light. Okay. Thank you. And so, have you ever been in a store and some people don't notice that anybody else is at the store? I mean, you're walking down an aisle, and they're coming on a side aisle. It's kind of like driving, right? You got the right away. You're in the big, wide aisle. They're coming from the side aisle. They should kind of stop and kind of move in like a car, right? And they just go, bloop, and you go, oh. And sometimes I can't help it. I just go sarcastically, excuse me. Sorry, I got in your way here. You know? Don't look like you're all saints because you guys either thought it, you've either thought it or said it, or you've done even worse. You've got an attitude like bump them or something with your car or, or gave them the stank eye. You know? They don't even know what you're, why you're doing. Why are they looking at me like that? Why? Listen, because they're not mindful of people. One of the ways you can be thankful and grateful is to be mindful. What does that mean? Full? 
you should be constantly thinking about others, right? And I love it when I walk through the store and people are like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Or, oh, I'm, I'm in a hurry and I, I peek out, I like peek out like a car and they're coming, I'll pull back and say, I'm sorry. And they'll smile and say, it's a, no problem. I like all that interaction. I like it when people are mindful of me and I'm mindful of them. Those interactions are so good. As Christians, we're called to be mindful. Let's be mindful at home. Don't take for granted what, ha- what people do day to day for you. Don't take it for granted. You know, someone gets up and makes you coffee every morning, tell them thank you every morning. Tell them really thank you. Someone does something for you day to day, man, be grateful. Don't, don't take it for granted they help you with this or help you with that or do this for you, do that for you. That's how people get into a bad funk. They get into a bad vibe, man, by not saying the words and expressing it and being mindful of each other. Man, this Christmas season, let's, let's, let's go out and be thankful and grateful and mindful. And when people aren't, Let's try not to sarcastically, you know, you know, tell them, excuse me, or let's just smile and move on and let's do what we do and not let what the culture of this world does. Let's be countercultural. Let's be counter to the culture and let's be mindful of them even when they're not mindful of us. And let's not let them ruin our day, our moment, our time, or our celebration. Come on, church. Thank you, Father. Listen, every eye closed here and online, those that are watching online, thank you for joining us tonight. Man, if you're here, you might be visiting. You might just come because it's the Christmas season. Maybe this is your once a year time or whatever. Doesn't matter. Maybe you've come 50 times, but you know you're still not right with God. What does it mean to be right with God? That he's God, he's Lord, and you're not. Taught the message of the three people that missed Jesus, the innkeeper, Herod the king, because he didn't want anybody being king. They said, we came to find the king of the Jews. Well, he was the king of the Jews. But he really wasn't. Because he didn't submit, he became a murderer. and He hated God, hated Jesus. Died in his wickedness. Died in his sin that Jesus so lovingly came to die in his place for. But he rejected, he said, I'm going to be the king of my life. I'm in control. It's about me. I just, I have some news for you. Some of it's the best news you've ever heard and some of it's the worst news you've ever heard. The worst news I'll give you first. That if you think you're ruling your own life, you're unbelievably deceived. Because either Satan has deceived you in thinking that and he's using you, controlling you, and sin is dominating you. 
But here's the best news. Jesus died for your sins and mine to set us free from the, from the dominion, control, and slavery of sin and Satan. That we can live life and life to the full in this life. That we can live the life of an overcomer. That when trouble comes, we don't bow to trouble. We bow to God and he delivers us, helps us. Even when death comes for us, we don't bow to death. We overcome death and we live forever because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Death has no victory. And the troubles of life don't have victory over us either. Not if we stay committed to him. If we make him the king of our life, and stop trying to do it ourselves. That's what Lord means. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's the other lords? That's little L. Who's the other kings? Little king. That's us. For those who love him. Those who understand he died for us. Those who understand he came to rescue us from ourselves. So we wouldn't live selfish, sinful lives. But we'd learn through a process over time, effort, and age, how to give our lives away and truly live this life to the full. How to lead our families and our friends to Him. How to live with a purpose and not by accident. How to live in the light, not in the darkness. If you're here right now, you're listening online, whether it's tonight live or later this week, it doesn't matter. You're not right with God. We want to pray with you right now. Maybe you've never been right with Him. And that's okay. We've all been there. This is your night to pray and get right. To make Him the Lord and allow Him to forgive you of your sins and heal you and help you and minister to you and pull out the best in you. Teach you how to really serve and live life. Give you heaven instead of hell. Or then maybe it, you're like so many that you've gotten so caught up in the cares of this world that you've forgotten about God. And you stop praying and coming to church and you're here tonight or listening tonight and you're like, you know what? Golly. I've put the fire out of the Holy Spirit. I... I put it out and I don't, I want it back. Well, he's right here right now to restore you or save you for the first time, either one. If you want to pray and get right with God and you're online right now, or maybe you're listening a week from now, message us right now and say, listen, I'm praying for the first time tonight or I'm praying for the next time tonight. In this room on the count of three, I'm going to ask you, on the count of three, one, two, three, to lift your hand up and say, it's me. I need to get right with God right now, right here in this place. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to teach me right from wrong. I need him to forgive me. Deliver me from my past. I need him. I want to go to heaven. If that's you in this room, on the count of three, first time or next time, raise your hand high and then put it down quickly. Then we're all going to pray together right where you're at. 
One, two, three. Just put your hand up high. Say, it's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All over this room. Thank you. God bless you. This is awesome. So online and in here, let's all pray together, okay? Those who raise your hand, you don't have to yell this or scream it, but don't whisper it. Just talk to God and mean it. Mean it in your heart. Make a commitment to him, and he'll make a commitment to you. Say this. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. There are no other gods but you. And you love us. You created us. And when we were all in sin, you sent Jesus to die for our sins, to take our place. And you raised him from the dead to rescue us, to rescue me from sin's dominion, control over me in this life and its penalty in the next life. Thank you for loving me and wanting to rescue me. Because I believe all that, I ask you, God, by the blood of Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, and I receive your full forgiveness right now. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I thank you. You sit on the throne of my life by the Holy Spirit that I receive right now. And I thank you. You've saved me, restored me, and now you'll teach me how to live life and life to the full until I'm with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' name, thank you and amen. Come on, let's thank you. He's so good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.